All of us will reach a crossroads in life, a decision that has to be made. Some can be small and insignificant. Others seem like they could shape the course of our entire lives. How can we know the will of God? How can we correctly choose the path He has set out for us? And what if we make the wrong decision? He hears our every prayer, granting peace and wisdom to those who ask. His very Spirit dwells in us, a still small voice that guides from within our hearts. And in His perfect timing, He will open doors. He will clear the way forward. And no matter the path you choose, you are never alone. He will walk beside you and enfold you with His love from now until the end of eternity. Hey, this is Sebastian from SM Lead Pastor Celebration Church. And uh, this is an odd Sunday. I mean, we were supposed to have a meeting, but then, you know, of course, the weather forecast got so bad with uh, probably 20 centimeters of snow that we decided to cancel our in-person services and do everything online today. And we were supposed to have a uh, guest speaker this morning. Uh, his name is Jonathan Venema of uh, the Ark Church in Langedijk, uh, but um, he will be coming in a couple of weeks time now. Uh, so, um, so just looking forward to that as well. Uh, so we decided to start our new sermon series a week earlier. And the title of the sermon series is It Runs in the Family. It Runs in the Family. And it's based on a book by Dr. Michael Heiser called What Does God Want? And uh, this book will become available in English and Dutch in the coming few weeks. And uh, it's a great book. And uh, some of the themes there are just amazing to uh, to think about and one of the mo most important ideas that he lays down there is that God wants family and uh, that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning and but before I get into that I just want to share my personal story uh, with uh, with you guys and uh, if you've been around Celebration Church for a longer time you've heard the story if not and I know there's many of you who are fairly new to our church um, you know, this is your opportunity to listen to my story. But I didn't grow up in a Christian family myself. Uh, I did go to a uh, primary school that was Christian, but um, when I went to secondary school, um, basically every trace of Christianity that was still left in me, basically, uh, was gone. And um, I went to study um, in, uh, in Groningen up north in the Netherlands, uh, economics. And uh, but I was a pot smoker and I was a hip hop DJ. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd and wasn't really paying attention to my studies at all. Got a negative study advice, and uh, which actually they kicked me out of school and um, I went to uh, the University of Amsterdam to basically you know hope to start hope to finish my studies within the six years that uh, I had available in uh, in those days. And uh, so I went to Amsterdam and this was mid nineties. And um, there I basically started to hang out with the hip-hop crowd there, was still smoking pot, still not really focusing on my studies, but something amazing happened. I, um, you know, one of the rappers that I was working with, his cousin became a great friend of mine. And uh, he started to talk to me about Jesus. And I wasn't really waiting for anybody to talk to me about Jesus. I mean, religion and faith uh, basically had no meaning for me whatsoever in those days. But I really liked the guy. 
So because of the fact that I liked him, I allowed him in my life and I didn't, you know, close the door on him. And then something else happened. Um, I, uh, I was actually, I lived in the Amsterdam Southeast in the Belmer. Uh, I studied in downtown Amsterdam and I was always taking this, uh, this metro uh, back from the center to Belmer and of course the other way around as well. And in the metro, this fellow student of mine invites me to church. And I'm like, thank you for the invitation. Um, and I was trying to be nice to him. So instead of saying, well, I'm not interested, I said, well, I'm going to London this weekend, but I'll think about your invitation, which basically meant no in, you know, for me. So I went to London and the very same thing happens to me. A fellow student, not a fellow student, obviously, but a, 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 a young guy, student age, sitting in the metro in the same uh, area as I was sitting, invites me to a church service. And I'm like, well, sorry, I don't live here, but thank you very much for the invitation. But at that moment, I was like, if God exists, he's trying to tell me something. And I've got to be real serious about this. So I got back to Holland and probably a couple of months later, I said to my friend, hey, let's check out the church of this student, this fellow student of mine in Amsterdam. So we went there and um, after, probably after a couple of months, I decided to surrender my life to Jesus. I became part of God's family. You know, my own story, I think you could compare it very much to a story that Jesus told, the story of the lost sheep, uh, which you can find in Luke chapter 15. And uh, so, this, so Jesus tells the story of the shepherd and he has a hundred sheep and, um, and one of those sheep goes missing. And instead of thinking, well, I got 99 sheep left. I don't really care about the one sheep. I'll just continue my life the way it was. No, he actually makes sure that those 99 sheep are in safety and he goes after the lost sheep and finds it. And then once he's found it, you know, he just goes a long way to find it and he comes back and he throws a party for the town that he lives in. And he says, well, hey, let's celebrate with me because the, the sheep that was lost is now found. Amazing story. And, um, and then Jesus says, says this in uh, verse seven in Luke 15. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You wonder why does the good shepherd go after this lost sheep? And Jesus is painting a picture here of, of God's love, of God's goodness towards human beings. God loves us so much. This one sheep is important to him. Every single human being is important to him. And I was that lost sheep back 25 years ago, 26 years ago. Maybe you were that lost sheep as well, or maybe you're that lost sheep at this moment and you're watching this video at the moment. You know what? God cares about you. God cares about me. God cares about every single human being in this world. He's committed to humanity. Do you wonder why does God even care about us, right? I mean, let's look at the world around you. I mean, all the human beings that just make such a huge mess of their lives and, and the wars that are going on, pandemics, and, um, you know, oppression, uh, persecution, you know, it's a horrible world. There's so much violence as well. Why does God still care about us? Why didn't he just, just you know, cast us away and, and start all over again? Well, there's one thing that's really important to realize for us. You know, God doesn't need humans. God doesn't need you and me. 
God doesn't need us to, to serve him. He didn't create us to serve him or so. As if he needed servants to attend to his business. He didn't. God didn't also, God neither created us to, to worship him. You know, there's even worship songs that say that. I was created to worship him. Beautiful text, beautiful songs, but it's not true. God didn't create us to worship him as if he needed someone to tell him how good he is. God knows that. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have like a problem with his identity or something like that. God doesn't need us, but he still made us. Why? There's only one rational explanation that you and I can give for this. He wanted us to exist so that he could enjoy us. He could enjoy our company. He could enjoy the relationship with us and we could enjoy our relationship with him in return. You know, if you look at the Bible, the Bible speaks about God as our father. He speaks about the, um, the people from Adam onward as his children. But did you know that before God created us, he had already created other intelligent beings whom the Bible refers to as the sons of God. And, and usually, you know, people would refer to those sons of God as angels. You know, if you look at Job chapter 38, verse four through seven, you see that these sons of God, these supernatural sons of God, they, they shouted for joy when, when God laid the foundations of the world. They were already present and watching when God created the world. And when you look at those terms, terms like children and sons and daughters and, and, and father, if you talk about God, you would, use these terms only in a situation where it speaks about family. And in, in Job 38, this family is a supernatural one. God is the father to the supernatural intelligent beings that he created in the unseen realm. But God also wanted a human family in addition to a supernatural family. You know, it was God's plan originally so that that these two families would live together in one place, which is called the Garden of Eden. God wanted to dwell among humans, but he also had his supernatural family dwelling there within the Garden of Eden. And God created us to live in his presence, just like he created the angels to live in his presence. We were created to live close to him, to be really near to him. You know, when, when God filled the earth with all kinds of animals and plants and stuff he he still had work to do god knew that his creation wasn't finished yet check out genesis 1 26 he it says this then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness god decided to make this his new creature his new creature i'm sorry my english right in his Im image after his likeness these people they will be his earthly family. We were created to be his image, to, to image him, to, to represent him. Because that's really what happens, right? Like when, we, when we're um, procreated by our parents, we, we look a lot like our parents. And the same way Adam and Eve, they were created in God's image and after his likeness. And we're created in that same likeness, after the same image. And then he gives humankind which includes you and me, a task, a really important task. Let me reread Genesis 1:26 and then continue till verse 28. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the 
earth. So they were created to have dominion. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's the assignment. Be fruitful, multiply. I think we've done that as humankind. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over all these animals. There's a clear purpose that he gives to humanity right here. But you know what? God could have taken care of this world just fine. You know, he didn't need humans to actually manage his affairs here on the earth. He could have done it himself or he could have, you know, charged the angels with doing that. He's God, remember? Nothing is beyond his ability. But instead, God created an earthly family to do this role. Humanity's job will be managing and maintaining God's creation on his behalf. They would represent him to take care of creation. When you image God, when you represent him, this means that you take on the role of being God's representative here on earth. God tasks humans with doing a job he could have done just himself, probably better than, than we would have. But he wanted his children to participate. He wanted this to be a, a, a mutual effort. He wanted his business to be a family business. God's business always is a family business. God made us to be like him so that we could participate with him and be co-rulers and co-caretakers of the brand new world that he just created. Awesome news for, for us that we're created as God's imagers, that we're created to image him and represent him to the world. And there's two important consequences that, that we need to be aware of as God's imagers, as God's representatives. The first one is this one. And God gives us a clear identity when we're his imagers. God gives us a secure, profound identity when, we're, when we image him. It was God's original desire that, that every human being that would exist would become his child and his partner. Now here's what's important when, when, this is, when this is truth. God wants every one of us to consider every other person in this world as a sibling. We all have the same status as imagers of, of God whom God wants in his family. That's why there should be no place for racism and violence and manipulation and coercion and oppression, all these things. They were, they were never part of God's plan, of God's design for humanity. This is something that, that came later as a result of the fall. You know, and God hates it when, when we as people hurt one another. When we as people hurt God's creation, he hates it. And, and you, know, you know what? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. God, God created us as equals at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus himself, as our big brother, creates, um, he, he treats us as his equals, as his brothers and sisters. So why would we think that we're better than someone else if Jesus who is our Lord, who is our King, who is our God, treats us as his equal. Here's a couple of great scriptures that I want you to be aware of when we talk about identity, our identity as sons and daughters of God. First one, John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave their rights 
And the Greek here is the word exousia, which means authority and power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gave us power to become children of God. 1 John 3, 1, same author, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And I love what he says then. And that is what we are. It's like, well, I need to underline what I just said right here. We should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We truly are the children of God. We truly are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are a child of God. A son and a daughter or a daughter of God. Galatians 3.28, when we talk about equality. For there's neither Jew nor Greek. In other words, no... There's not a circumcised or an uncircumcised person. It doesn't matter in God's eyes. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all made equal. We're all created equal. There's no hierarchy anymore in the kingdom of God. Romans 12, verse 3 and then verse 16. Don't think you are better than you really are. <laughs> this is a good word for, for all of us, right? Be honest in your evil evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. And here comes verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. We need to live in harmony. We live, need to live as God's family. We need to live in, in a family that, that, that has wholeness and shalom functioning in real life. That's why we shouldn't be too proud to, to hang out with other people, ordinary people, if there's anything like that, ordinary people. We're all equal, right? 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. In other words, all of us should live in harmony, right? Sympathize with one another. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. So it requires a humble attitude for us to live together as God's children in God's family, right? So God gives us an identity when we're his images, but he also gives us a purpose. Imaging God gives us purpose. It gives us a mission, a life's mission. Every person, no matter how small or weak or short-lived, we have some role to play in someone else's life. So every task that we set ourselves, set our, set our minds to, that honors God and our fellow human images becomes a spiritual calling. Everything that we do, you know, we're all in full-time ministry, whether we're the pastor, whether we are, we're a bishop or a pope or, um, you know, a, a CEO of a big company or, or a painter or a baker, it doesn't really matter at all. We're all, uh, we all have this spiritual calling. Every, everything that we do, we can do it for the honor of, of the Lord and we can make sure that we live out our life before him towards others. Michael Heiser, um, author of The Unseen Realm, um, he, he says this, We're, we are created to image God, to be his imagers. That is what we are by definition. We are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to image God. Our purpose is to represent God in the world and to our fellow human imagers. Pretty cool stuff. Our purpose is all wrapped up in God's original plan that the whole world should be like Eden. And that won't happen to its fullest measure until Jesus returns as the rightful king and wipes out all 
rebellion and injustice and oppression, but for now, God wants us to represent him well by taking up our roles in the ecclesia, in the church family, in, in the kingdom of God, in this new world, in the midst of the old world that is perishing. And, and he gives us the assignment to invite others on board, to make others part of his family. Let them join his human family. Have them join us. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. God is sending us out to make all these nations, everybody who's been estranged from the Lord, and invite them on, on board in the family, in his family, in God's family. And, and make sure that we, we actually make sure the word goes out to, to the rest of the world who doesn't know God yet. Now, how do we do it? N.T. Wright, the famous British biblical scholar, he writes this, our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that, that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. So what does God want? He wants you. He wants a family. He wants co-workers. He wants you to know who you are and why your life has value to him. You're his child, and he has a great purpose for you with eternal value. So come home to the Father. Join his family. Let the good shepherd take you into his arms, heal you up, and get you ready for his mission. God wants you. God wants family. Let's pray. God, we come to you at this moment. We thank you, Lord, that you've created us, not to serve you, not to worship you, but to enjoy us to have a relationship with us. And Lord, you're giving us the opportunity to have a relationship with you as our Heavenly Father. And God, thank you for inviting us on board in your family business and being a part of your mission in this world to make this whole world like a global Eden. And God, we thank you, Lord, that our identity is rooted in you as, as, as sons and daughters, as children, and that we're, we're, we're called to, to your mission, to to be involved with the purpose that you have for this world. And God, I pray for every person right now who's, who's watching, who may feel like they're lost sheep, who may feel like they, they don't belong into, in this family, they don't belong in this relationship with you. I pray, God, that you would restore them, God, that you would heal them up, that you would bind them up and, and bring them into your, to your, to your kingdom and to your family, Lord, that you would take them on in your arms as, as that lost sheep and bring them home to your family. God, I thank you for doing this for sure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you.